Welcome to Purpose and Productivity, a podcast made possible by the SkyPass Group of Companies and SkyLife Success. Join Krish Dunham, an author and speaker whose messaging has been described as the junction where God's ability and man's availability meet hope's accessibility. In the August-September 1984 issue of American Heritage magazine, an article called The Moneymaker, written by Murray T. Bloom, said the following. The Secret Service considered Emmanuel Ninger a common counterfeiter. He saw himself as an American master of the Impressionist school. The most presumptuous counterfeiter in American history was a blue-eyed, sandy-bearded German sign painter named Emanuel Ninger. As a sign painter, he was adequate. As an Impressionist, a historic master. And a soaring egotist. Not for him the ordinary counterfeiter's conceit that his bills were as good as the government's. Ninger insisted his were worth more. The Bureau of Engraving and Printing merely turned out mass-impressed inked rectangles. But from 1883 to 1896, Ninger produced carefully rendered individual works of art. I bring up this story to talk about the concept of you being the enterprise. Many different versions of Emanuel Ninger's story have been told, and I've heard different versions of them from different speakers. One actually said that when Ninger was asked later on in his life uh, of all the great things he could have done, what was his biggest mistake, he said stealing from himself uh, in terms of what his talent could have been. He carefully, meticulously, with an easel and a paintbrush, mastered the art of counterfeiting. Large denominational bills, these were, of course, late 1800s, early 1900s. And one day they say that when he went to have a drink somewhere, he put, some, uh, put a coin on the table, took its change, and then as he was heading out, decided that he would change a $50 bill. The person who took the bill turned the bill over, and some ink may have been dripping because of the wetness of the hands or whatever it was, and alerted the authorities. And thus, Emmanuel Ninger's counterfeiting career seems to have come to an end. Usually when we tell stories of people who create such buzz on the landscape, the authors who write about it take a literary license in the words they use. The people who speak about it try to create a drama around it so the story would be intriguing. But regardless of which way you look at it, the story told by Marite Bloom, or the way it's written, is probably one of the better explanations I have seen about the life, the legacy, and the eventual fall of a man who had great talent about him, great ability about him. This time we're just talking about the fact that regardless of what you do, you are the enterprise. And in order to win within that enterprise, you need to have some wisdom, some innovation, and an ability to network. That innovation could also be intuition, depending on which way you personalize and internalize the formula. So let's look at the wisdom component of whatever you're doing today, as you look at yourself as the enterprise amidst uncertainty. Now, Ninger, of course, was an immigrant to these here United States, much like myself. He had an ability and a capability. He had an artistic uh, rendition that was part of him and... 
decided to challenge the status quo by creating something. He didn't have a large printing press. He didn't have inordinate amounts of rolls of paper. He was not counterfeiting for the sake of counterfeiting to mass produce. And I'm not trying to channel uh, this in any other way except the way in which I think people think. He had the ability to counterfeit bills individually by painting them, and the only thing they lacked was apparently that stripe or whatever magnetic thing is put in currency that allows people uh, to realize that, yes, this is the real deal from the Bureau of Engraving when they hold it up to light or whichever way you can spot a counterfeit now. And, of course, it's illegal to have any counterfeit currency now because the United States government, I think, in the early 90s uh, passed some ordinance that says everything had to be surrendered. So even in art auctions and all that, people seem to speak with hushed tones because this man's legend was such that owning something of his was also considered part of collection. And that's why it's interesting. Confucius, some years ago, and I guess Confucius is always some years ago, because I think in all the years I've been a public speaker, anything you cannot attribute to somebody or if they have no origin, but you find that it's worthy of saying, you say Confucius said it, or better yet, uh, if you don't want to be labeled as someone without a, a boundary in your thought process, you attribute it to anonymous. But I was looking up wisdom quotes, and here's one I found. By three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is the noblest. Second, by imitation, which is the easiest. And third, by experience, which is the bitterest. And in all of these three, I think Emmanuel Linger did have some amount of wisdom in what he did. First, by reflection. He knew within him that he had the ability to use his craft for something, and he used his craft for that thing. For a period of time, he made good money because a $50 and a $20 bill in those times was a king's ransom. The second thing, which is imitation. This is the easiest. I've oft said on this program and others that when you have mentors, when you seek mentoring, try not to become a copy of what you are trying to, or try not to imitate what you are copying, or Try to emulate, which means try to become a byproduct of that which you are learning from and not a replica so that in some way you would get discovered. One of the greatest travesties that we see on the modern political scene, for example, and politics is an area I very rarely comment on. I only comment on the politics of communication when I look at communicators in the political realm. More often than not, when they are found out after they have done something spectacular or after their oration has garnered the attention of the masses, people will go back and look and see if this was said at some other time before. And that is considered the greatest fall you can have as a speaker or communicator. I know many times when I communicate, I'll get a date wrong or I'll get the person who quoted it wrong and I will scramble back to the people and say, hey, you know what? I am really sorry I said that and if there's any way you can prevent it from getting published. And even if they do get it published, at least my correspondence with them shows that I made a genuine mistake. In communication, when you imitate someone or when you borrow someone's words, uh, try your best to always give that, uh, that acknowledgement to them. And some of the greatest political falls we have seen of people who rendered great oratorical mastery, and then we found out that it was just lifted from someone else's speech. 
So look at the statement of wisdom, supposedly by Confucius. By three methods we may learn wisdom. First, by reflection, which is noblest. Second, by imitation, which is easiest. And third, by experience, which is the betterest. And so ask yourself as you're building your own enterprise, where is your wisdom coming from? I would encourage you to be a person who is wise because of the reflection that you see of someone else, uh, the, the reflection you get of something you observe, the reflection you get by looking at yourself in the mirror and asking yourself if you're authentic to your cause or you're a worn out copy of someone else trying with great frustration to accomplish something. Aristotle put it this way. He said, it is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. This was in Aristotle's Metaphysics. It is the mark of an educated mind to be able to entertain a thought without accepting it. And I think it's very brilliant to have been put that way because that is wisdom. Wisdom has always been called the correct use of knowledge. So not everything you hear, everything you listen, everything you watch, everything you internalize has to be accepted. A wise mind knows how to discern that which is good for you, for you to belong, to have purpose and productivity in your life. The next component in building an enterprise or being the enterprise is innovation. Look what Albert Einstein said. I know not with what weapons World War III will be fought, but World War IV will be fought with sticks and stones. We have now reached a point where we are almost seeming to be in the path of regression. In fact, one of Lewis's books, Pilgrim's Regress, has an allegory of where, uh, and Ravi Zacharias tells the story of where Lewis is supposedly having breakfast and the character in his allegory, Pilgrim's Regress, and again, Pilgrim's Progress, uh, had Christian, and that was written by John Bunyan. So Pilgrim's Regress is C.S. Lewis's version of uh, his own journey. But he talks about having breakfast and commenting on the breakfast in some way, and then the waiter supposedly says, hey, you know what, this milk is just a secretion from a cow, it also urinates, and you decide what's delicious, you decide what's garbage, kind of thing. And whichever way that allegory goes, it's very interesting that Lewis ends that by simply saying, reason came riding in on a horse, and rescued him by simply saying, you lie. What God, you have not been able to, you can decide what God has made for good and what God has made for garbage. And that's true of any innovation in this world. And I'm not talking just about uh, mechanical innovations or scientific innovations. I'm talking about basic human innovation. Basic human innovation allows us to look within and decide what God has created for good and what God has created for garbage. I think part of the Part of the reason why our enterprises are failing both individually and institutionally is because people have refused to allow themselves to discern for themselves that some things are right and some things are wrong, that some things are good and some things are bad, some things are black and some things are white. And the reason we do this is because we want to go with the flow. We want to be liked by everybody. And as such, drawing a moral line in the sand is considered prejudicial and considered one of those people who is not open-ended to think. A door that is half open is also a door that is half shut and vice versa. So you cannot just be open-ended to the degree. Your innovation has to have some boundaries. You have to decide what is good and what is bad. Emmanuel Ninger's case, he thought what he was doing was good because he was rivaling the moment and using his intellect or his God-given ability for ill-gotten gains. 
And sometimes people who do this actually begin to buy in to the concept, not because of the fact that it is God-given or not. I'm not talking from a faith perspective here, but what they do buy into is the notoriety that comes with the ability to sway, the notoriety that comes with the ability to supposedly be this great open-ended thinker who has no boundaries. And as a result, you're, you're very seductive in your approach because you're not prejudicial or bound by any kind of archaic thought processes. And the third is networking. Now remember, wisdom is the need of the day, innovation is the need of the hour, but networking, your affiliation, is the need of the minute. Here's how Mark Twain put it. In a good book room, you feel in some mysterious way that you are absorbing the wisdom contained in all the books through your skin without even opening them. And I think the need of the hour, the need of the minute, this networking is who you affiliate with. I'm very fortunate of the journeys that I've been able to take. But one thing I do as a deliberate act every day, and I have now for the last 10 years at least, is reach out to three to five people every day or every other day. But I guarantee you I reach out to at least 25 people every week by just scrolling through my phone saying, who have I not contacted or whose wisdom is something that I benefited with at some point but have become fleeting in my life at this point? And I'll reach out to them. On Sunday, I reached out to a person I hadn't talked to in a year and a half. I got an email from them and they asked me if I would be willing to take a look at something and I immediately reached out back to them. See, sometimes in networking, when your expertise is called on because you're an expert, it is okay to not be an expert and get off that perch and become a friend. Be someone who is viable within their network. This is something that was taught to me by my hero, Zig Ziglar. I'll never forget, as long as I live, the method and the methodology he used. As we traipsed around the globe and we did cover merry a mile together, sitting next to each other on long flights and short ones, anytime we got into a gathering where there was someone of repute that had recognized him or they recognized each other, and they came to shake hands, the first thing Mr. Ziglar would do, and he would change the way he would say it, but... Uh, I remember he met a celebrity in the Dallas airport, a very prestigious football star, American football that is, and uh, as soon as they exchanged hands and they were talking about how great it was to, to get together and then they started bragging on each other's individual accomplishments and how each person's wisdom had rubbed, out, rubbed off on the other person's career. Mr. Ziegler stopped for a moment and said, "Ah." Before we exchange halos about our individual accomplishments, let me introduce you to the future. And he would bring me into the conversation. I thought with that kind of networking, with that kind of affiliation, I was bound to succeed because he was making me believe I belong. Remember, you are the enterprise. So have the wisdom of the ages to understand and discern right from wrong. Have the innovation of the moment so that you know that what you're doing you're not regressing, you are progressing. You're not going with the flow just because it's seductive, but you're doing the right thing because it is sensible. And lastly, your affiliation. Make sure that when you arrive at the pinnacle of glory, make sure when you arrive at the point of performance that you look for someone else who's on the periphery looking in and ask yourself, can I make them part of the conversation? Can I get out and let the light stop shining on me so that those that are in my shadow will now have the light shine on them? Until next time, keep on winning.
That concludes another episode of Purpose and Productivity with Chris Dunham, brought to you by Skylife Success. Please subscribe, rate, and visit us on the web at chrisdunham.com and skylifesuccess.com, where you can find our social media links and access to additional resources. Till next time, happy learning and happy living.